Hi, I'm Karen Pollard and welcome to the Challenger CEO podcast. And I'm here with a really exciting guest today, the one and only Shah Wasman, MBE. Yeah, don't forget the MBE, babe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Shah, I mean, it's such an exciting time to be here with you because not only has this just come out, but... Um, so much has happened this year, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a massive year. And actually, we found out this morning, which I haven't told you, is actually currently the number one best-selling non-fiction book in WH Smith. So yeah, I'm super excited. Oh, excellent. I'm going to do my little round of applause for anyone that can actually see me. <laughs> yeah, um, no, super stoked. That, that's amazing. Amazing. Well, you had your big records that you broke 10 years ago. The book came out 10 years ago and it went straight in at number one and it stayed at number one for 14, one, four months in a row. Wow. It broke all of WH Smith's records. I've got a plaque from them above my desk and uh, it, that record hasn't been broken. I think what's really interesting is that 10 years later, there's a 60% rewrite, 60% new content, but the topic itself is evergreen, it's perennial. Mm. The topic of procrastination, of getting in our own way, it never grows old. Mm. It's as relevant today as it was 10 years ago. In fact, somebody asked me today, you know, why did you have to do a 60% rewrite? Like, what, what's different 10 years on? And I said, well, actually... I think it's more relevant today because 10 years on, technology has has kind of wormed its way into our lives to such an extent that mm. we have even more ways to distract ourselves mm -hmm. and procrastinate than we did 10 years ago. Now, 10 years ago, we all had mobile phones, we all were on social media, but not in the absolutely, I'm going to use this word because I think it's accurate, insidious way that technology and social media run our lives as they do today. Mm. And it's not just Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, but it's Netflix and Amazon Prime and Apple TV. Our time just gets taken away from us mm. without us being intentional about it. So I think actually, yeah. if anything, today's even more relevant than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I was listening to something recently and they said Netflix steals your time and social media steals your focus. So yeah, very poignant. There was a word that you said there, intentional, and that's a word that I'm carrying around with me a lot at the moment. Coming into brand new year, 2023, I'm feeling very intentional. What does that word mean for you? It means that I only do things that I'm choosing to do. And that can be uh, everything from I'm only eating the food that I'm choosing to eat, as opposed to mindlessly grazing and snacking on shit that I don't even want or need. Mm. It means being intentional on how I spend my time, being intentional on how I spend my money. I have zero problems spending money. I love spending money. I hate wasting money. Yeah. And there's a very big difference between the two. And actually, most people waste a lot of money and people waste even more time. And so being intentional means choosing how I'm going to run my business, choosing how I'm going to run my life, choosing who I spend my time with, mm. choosing how I spend my time. Is there's an element of being selfish? Nope. No? Why is being intentional selfish? Well, I think it's more in a positive way. It's about putting yourself first so that you can give more. I don't know. I think that that old cliche that you have to put on your own oxygen mask before you can put on anyone else's. Mm. Um, you know, it is old and it is a cliche. However, I think there's still a lot of truth to it, but I don't think being intentional is being selfish. 
I think being intentional is being conscious. Mm. I think being intentional is being self-aware. It's saying, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my calories. I don't want to waste my love or affection. I don't want to waste my friendships. I don't want to waste my efforts. I don't want to waste. I want to be intentional. So actually, being intentional for me, um, as an example, would be I have changed my business model because I'm very intentional about who I want to work with. Mm. But another example to people who maybe don't run their own businesses would be I've had a cleaner since I was 21. I am intentional that I do not want to spend my time cleaning my house. And I grew up in a single parent family on a council estate. So if people want to think that, you know, I I think I'm better than anyone else, then you've got the wrong person. Mm. I think that I work harder than most people. And therefore, I have an absolute privilege to be able to choose what I do with my time and my money. And so I would rather spend my time with my son, with my family, with my friends, than I would do my washing. Mm. Mm. I haven't ironed anything since I was 21 and I have no intention starting today. Yeah. I'm a big believer of outsourcing the cleaning. That was one of the biggest decisions that I made that was a game changer in my own personal business. Because like you've just said, that time is precious. And when you become intentional about it, it makes all the difference. I think it's also really important though to recognize that if you are fortunate enough to be in a situation to do these things, Mm. and I know I hear people say to me, yeah, but you know, that's good for you because you have the money to do that. Well, it's good for me because I've worked hard to have the money to do it. And I've had plenty of setbacks along the way. And every time I have a setback, I pull myself back up and I keep moving forward. But in the process of all of this, I love on my cleaner because I've cleaned out hospital toilets. I have fried burgers in McDonald's as a vegetarian. So make no mistake about this, right? Mm. I don't have any hang-ups about, I'll do anything if I had to. So when a cleaner comes into my home and makes my life easier, I am very appreciative that this person is doing a job that I don't want to do. Yeah. So rather than being dismissive of the person who you think is beneath you because they're doing the jobs you don't want to do, you need to flip that conversation and that script and think to yourself, actually, you should be very appreciative of this person because they are doing the stuff that you don't want to do. Yeah. So I think that when we change how we see these things and we realize that, you know, we are all here to support each other in one way or another, Mm. that it's an ecosystem, that my ecosystem can't work effectively if I don't have other people supporting me. Completely. Yeah, I get that. And speaking of supporting each other, I first came to know you. The first time I heard about you was during lockdown. And I must confess, I must have been living under a rock because I'd never heard of podcasting before. (laughs) Life was very lonely during that time. And when I first listened to Building a Bigger Podcast, it was like there was somebody who was having a direct conversation with me. And every Sunday morning, when that new episode would drop, I'd be listening to it. And you walked Southeast London with me <laughs> in my ear for, for many, many um, days that I was out there every day trying to do my bit. I think it was two hours a day we were allowed out yep. of the house. Um, but so I, I feel like there was this intimacy um, in in where I actually fell in love with you <laughs> and fell in love with the medium of podcasting. Um, 
So from a mental point of view, an emotional point of view, I feel like that was the support that I needed. Life hasn't got easier in terms of what we've been fed since that, yep. because we've literally gone from pandemic into war, into recession, and these messages that keep on feeding us. What is your thoughts around how you protect yourself and, and move out of that victim versus survivalist type of mind frame? Well, I think... the to start with, it's really important to accept reality. I think we've been in a recession for months, but it doesn't worry me. I've been through a recession before. I'll probably go through a recession again. And that's just part of life. Mm. And as much as we can look at the rising costs of some things, there's also a hugely decreasing cost of some things. But that doesn't suit the media to talk about those things. So let me give you an example. Yes, costs are rising on mortgage rates. However, they're still at a historical low. And I'm not talking about back in the, I don't know when, the 1980s, way before I ever had a mortgage, but that they were at 15, 17%. But I'm talking about in my lifetime, where I remember mortgage rates being at 6%. I mean, 6%, if, if we went to a 6% mortgage, the, I don't know what would happen to this country. Mm. So we've still got to put it into context that actually contextually, rates are still historically low. Mm. Energy prices... That's a real crisis, right? And the reason it's a real crisis is because it is increasing to such an extent that it's actually adding on up to a third of the average household's monthly outgoings. Mm -hmm. Now, the average household doesn't have a third to manoeuvre around. They don't have a third extra each month. Most families are living month to month. So this is a real problem. And obviously, you know, something has to be done about it. But the good thing about being it being a problem for everyone is I am I am so anti-Trump, but I remember listening to him years ago and he had this piece of advice and it stuck with me forever. And it's very relative and, and to, to what we're talking about. He said, if you owe the bank 100,000, it's your problem. But if you owe them 100 million, it's their problem. Now, what does this mean? It means that during the pandemic... Everything became the government's problem and the bank's problem. So everybody got mortgage relief. So mm. everybody got loans because it wasn't your problem or my problem. It was the government's problem. It was their problem. Now, with the energy crisis, because it's going to affect so many people, they won't have the ability, the capacity or the public sentiment to be able mm. to go and start repossessing people's houses because they can't afford their gas bill because it's a bigger problem. Mm. It's not an isolated pocket mm. of a problem. But then the flip side of that is to think about, my mum just ordered a ring doorbell. Okay, she got it on Black Friday on Amazon and she managed to get a ring doorbell. Um, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a doorbell that allows you to see who, it's like a video doorbell, it allows you to see who's there. But she also got it with an Alexa. Now these two devices combined, the ring doorbell and the speaker with the screen, um, £69. Mm. Now... 15 years ago, 20 years ago, if you wanted to install video surveillance on your house, you're talking about thousands of pounds of equipment. Now, I appreciate that most people probably don't have the money to invest in thousands of pounds of video equipment, and most people probably don't have video security. So, But I am sharing this to say, don't let the media fool you into everything is horrific and negative, because actually contextually, there are many, many things that have actually dropped in price. And for the things that haven't dropped in price, for the basics, for the fundamentals like gas and electricity, let's talk about food. 
Did you know that the average household throws away over 30% of their food every single week? No, that's a massive, massive statistic. Okay. And prices haven't gone up 30%. Mm. So if we all, as a generalization, statistically, actually ate everything that we purchased and we just cut down what we purchased by 30%, Although the individual cost of each item is higher, our overall basket cost would actually be lower Mm. and we'd have no wastage. Mm. But that doesn't suit the narrative for the Mm. government. You know, it's not really the government. It's the newspapers, it's the media. So here's what I say. Be conscious. We are in a recession. But don't be scared because if you can't, you know, right now you have to learn how to control your life and you have Mm. to control your future. And there are plenty of people out there who have money and there are plenty of businesses out there who have money. So focus on those who who have rather than those who don't. And it's about controlling the controllables when everything else is feeling slightly out of control. Yeah, 100%. You know, for, for me, that's a premise of my whole life is that when things feel out of control, you've got to focus on what are the things that you actually have control over. You know, it's funny because I've I'd never drunk alcohol in my entire life. And yet above my desk, I have the serenity prayer, which became famous through Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. through AA. Um, uh, and I've literally never drunk alcohol in my life. But the serenity prayer is, I think, something for everybody to fall back on. And it's the, you know, the courage to understand the difference between what you can control and mm. what you can't, or the courage to change the things you can, mm. and uh, the wisdom to understand the difference between what you can and what you can't. Mm. I think when you start to look through that lens, all of a sudden, what might feel like micro shifts start paving for a more and without starting to woo here, <laughs> but it, it starts paving for a more positive outcome, a more a world and and a, a, your own world I'm talking about, feeling like there's more that's possible out there and, and not feeling like you're overwhelmed and disillusioned. Or even um, accept that you are overwhelmed and you are disillusioned. Mm. So you have a choice. What mm. would you like to do about it? Would you like to carry on feeling overwhelmed and disillusioned? Mm. Or would you like to do something about it? Mm. Because if you want to carry on feeling overwhelmed and disillusioned, then very few people can help you. But if you'd like to change that, then the first person who's got to help you is yourself. You've got to make that decision. You've got to make the decision mm. that enough is enough. I don't want to feel overwhelmed and disillusioned anymore. Mm. And whilst I can't shift and change everything overnight, I can start to make a change right now. We procrastinate far too much in life. We put things off until the perfect time. We say, when this happens, then I'll do that. If this happens, then I'll do that. When the kids go to school, then I'll be able to do this. It's almost like there's an excuse to avoid the permission. But if you take that more proactive stance and actually (laughs) this is it, enough is enough. But the only person's permission you need is your own. Of course, definitely. You don't need anybody else's permission Mm. to do something. Now, you might need other people's help and support to take care of the kids whilst you, you know, go to the gym or you might need somebody's help and support if you want to set up a, you know, a new business. It's, of course, we're, we're, no man is an island unto themselves. However, the permission that you seek is from yourself. It should not be from other people. Mm. I'm going to ask you a different question here. Alpha males versus alpha females. Do they exist? And do you see yourself as an alpha female? 
It's an interesting topic because I've been described as an alpha female uh, in the press multiple times. And as far as I'm concerned, every time that I was labeled as an alpha female, it was supposed to be derogatory. And I was like, I'm completely fine with being an alpha female. So we're okay. Because to me, an alpha female is just the leader of the pack who's going to take care of everyone. I don't think an alpha female or an alpha male is the person who's going to ride roughshod over people. Actually, what happens is the people who feel insecure are the bullies. The alphas are not the bullies. The alphas are the protectors. People have got this whole entire dynamic Mm. upside down and back to front and inside out because they don't understand it. If you look at a wolf pack where the terminology alpha comes from, nature, the alpha in a pack, whether male or female, is the lead protector, is the one that is going to put themselves in harm's way before everybody else to protect the rest of the pack. Mm. A bully never does that. Somebody who's arrogant and egotistical never does that. Mm. Somebody who's only out for themselves never does that. That's true. So am I an alpha male or alpha female? If that's the definition, then 100%. I think what people have taken it to mean is that I'm very confident in my own abilities. I'm very intentional. I'm very determined. I'm very resilient. I'm very tenacious. But I'm also like the best corner man or woman you could ever ask for. Mm. Because if somebody needs saving from, you know, Kilimanjaro at 3 a.m., I can guarantee you that within my friendship circles, I would be the first person that every single one would call. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a better friend than other people. But when push comes to shove and your life is on the line, Mm. there's one person that everybody knows will drop everything and come get you. Mm. And so if that's being alpha, I'll I'll take it every single day of the week. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yes. Join me up for that club, please. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's really sad that in the same word, way that hustle has been manipulated to suddenly mean a bad thing Mm. when hustle is all about hustling yourself to me hustle is about having discipline when you don't have motivation hustle is about not resting on your laurels hustle is not trying to hustle someone out of something Mm. and so I think words can be manipulated to suit whatever narrative the person using it wants to say so if people want to say oh I've got so much you know Shah's got so much masculine energy I'm okay. I look pretty damn feminine. I'm fine. Thanks. Mm. Like, Mm. I I, I really just, my life is like this. I give a huge amount of fucks about the people that I love and care about. And I give zero fucks about the rest. Mm. So if I give zero fucks about you, why would I? I, Say what you want. It's not really impacting my life. Absolutely. I get that. I mean, I've been described as Marmite. And, um, you know, as you know, I'm originally from South Africa. So my tone of voice, even in my happiest, can often be misconstrued. But I'm okay with that because we're not for everyone. We're not supposed to be for everyone. Mm. We're supposed to be for our people. Yeah. We're supposed to be for our people. Yes. And our people means our clients. It means our families, our friends, our communities. It doesn't Mm. mean the whole entire world, Mm. you know, and you're not here to turn yourself inside out to please people. Mm. That doesn't mean that you should think that everything you say is correct and everybody else is wrong. That's a whole different conversation. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is that if being determined, if being intentional, if standing up for yourself and others means you have masculine energy... And you're an alpha, mm. 
why do we have to label everybody? Like, that's well, true. I just don't really understand it. Yeah. Like, why, why do we have to label everyone? Well, I think that's that's somewhere we can definitely challenge the status quo because... Well, also, do let's just, just be honest people... for a second. Men don't do this shit. So if we're going to talk about alpha females versus alpha males, men don't do this shit. Men don't have labels for each other. Like, there's no, like, fatherpreneur. There's mm. no... Somebody called me a lipstick entrepreneur once. I was like, dude, <laughs> what the actual fuckery is that? <laughs> Like, what the, like, mm. where are these labels for men? Mm. Okay, so if they don't exist, why are we putting them on women? Why are we marginalizing women based on whether they're a parent or they're not a parent? Why are we marginalizing or labeling women based on whether they wear makeup or they don't wear makeup? Sure. Why are we, wh- wh- what the fuck is boss babe? Mm. Like, seriously, so you're going to sexualize a position yeah. in a workplace? Yeah. Boss babe. Really? Absolutely. Mm. Like, I know there's a big company called Boss Babe and I know lots of people relate to it. Good luck to all of you. Uh, I, I, you know, if that rocks your boat, seriously, I'm all for whatever makes you happy. But let's think about the greater context of what using that kind of language with women actually does. Do you see that happening with groups of men? No, I'm just trying to think. I cannot think of anyone. Never. No, the only Ever. thing I can think of, which is probably... the only label is the bro marketing and that's it but the issue that i have with mompreneur whatever lipstick crap boss babe is marginalizing women based on so if you're a mompreneur you're you're a mother who happens to be an entrepreneur so Mm. hey let's mix those two things come up Mm. and come up with a new that doesn't have to be mutually exclusive does it but i don't even see what the relevance Mm. is because if you don't, again, if you don't do it with a male, why are you doing it with a female? Sure. Right? Absolutely. But boss babe, I have a particular issue with because to me, that's sexualizing the role of a woman at work. Yeah, completely. So you have to look like a babe to be a boss? Or if you're a boss, you become a babe? I mean, which way around is mm. it? Mm. Can, can you imagine any CEO of a Fortune 500 company talking this shit? No. No. Could, could you imagine Sheryl Sandberg sitting there saying, hey, hey, have you got that boss babe hashtag on my Instagram post today? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that never happened. Yeah. So can we just take ourselves more seriously? I can think we take exactly. each other more seriously? Yeah. And more importantly, can we respect each other? So as much as I've just dissed the terminology boss babe, <laughs> if you genuinely, that's your thing, I respect it. It's your thing. But just think about the context that mm. that language has on other people Hmm. would you want your daughter to grow up to be called a boss babe definitely not you want her to be called a boss exactly and and leave it at that right Mm. you've been described as very evangelical almost like a modern day jesus (laughs) oh my god (laughs) Uh, you have this effect on people that um I don't know if you know this, but it's called Shah's World. And then when people come into Shah's World, they just don't leave Shah's World. And for a lot of people, I think you you have this amazing set of credentials and history and accolades and successes. But um, for people entering to your world for the first time, they are so surprised because you're like me, five foot nothing. <laughs> There's just... There is something about your energy that just draws people in and I think you really tap into what people are thinking, the an awakened ambitions that have never 
come to light before and is life-changing. In that way, I think you're a natural mentor to, so, to the masses. Who mentors you? It's interesting. So I just want to unpack this a little bit. So one of the things I think that if you don't know me, know me, and you just see me from afar, things can be very easily edited. So I know that if things are edited in such a way, I can come across as being brash, and some people might even think I'm arrogant. And I'm none of those things. I am very opinionated, and I will stand up for what I believe in, and I will stand up for other people. And I'm not confrontational, Mm. but I'm never afraid of confrontation. Mm. There's a big difference between the two. So I'm not going to start an argument or a fight, but you better not bring it to me because I'll die fighting. And so I think because of how I've grown up, my circumstances, my who I've worked with across the years, being, you know, surrounded by alpha men, I do have more masculine, if you want to use that label, tendencies in how I handle things. I'm very straightforward. I try to take the emotions out of things and look at things, you know, logically in in terms of a situation. But one thing that I think people will find is I really give a shit. Like, I really genuinely care. Because I've come from nothing, because I've come from a single-parent family, growing up on a council estate, experiencing huge amounts of domestic violence as a kid with my dad, drug abuse, narcotics, I mean, the whole nine yards. The stuff that you would never wish on your worst enemy. Mm. I care about people. I really care about people. And I think people find that surprising if they've only seen edits of me Mm. from the outside world Mm. because what they don't get without being around me is my absolute mission is to help people fulfill their greatest potential not just in business business is a vehicle but in everything in every part of their life Mm. because you know we're a long time dead and so when it comes to who mentors me there's no one single person right so growing up my mom my nan were huge role models for me um not in a work sense at all but just in instilling in me a huge sense of self-belief um chris eubank senior he was the first person to really bet on me before i had any credentials and You know, it was interesting because I I was saying to you and the crew that I I was speaking to him yesterday. So imagine this. We're still in contact all these years later. Mm. So the one thing about me is I I maintain my friendships and my relationships forever. Mm. I'm not in it for a quick fix. I'm not in it for one-off financial remuneration, right? I'm binary. I'm in or I'm out. Mm. So I'm either in your corner or I'm probably not in your world. Yeah. Right? It's one or the other. Yeah. And so when it comes to my mentors, I've been incredibly fortunate, you know, Chris Eubanks, Sir James Dyson, Lynn Franks, my mom, my nan. Um, I just, there's probably too many and too many on on different levels. Mm. Um, I I am genuinely incredibly fortunate. Mm. You're also incredibly passionate about creating future generational wealth. How do you instill that in your own child? How do I instill the passion to create generational wealth in my own child? That is almost like an oxymoron, right? (laughs) And it's really difficult and it is a daily struggle because 
as we sit here in my multi-million pound house, and by the way, I'm saying this for context, not to be a braggadocious twat. <laughs> so we sit here today in my office, in my garden, in my multi-million pound house, on uh, a royal park, not just a park, but a royal park. I stress all of this because that's how my son has grown up. Mm. I grew up on a council estate with mm. no money. I never left the country till I was 16 and then I paid for my own holiday. This child has traveled, I mean, I think he's probably been to Barbados 10 times, Marrakesh 20 times, America, God only knows how many times. I mean, he's been to everywhere. You, you know, his life is so extraordinarily different to mm. mine that it is a constant struggle to find a balance between providing him with the life I didn't have and the stability that I didn't have and giving him the hunger and the drive to do things for himself. Mm. Because truthfully, he's got a cushy life. What does he need to work for right now? Like, mm. you know, I, I'm probably like a broken record because the amount of times I tell him this is not how life is, Jen. Mm. Like, seriously, wake up. You know, like most kids do not, wake up and look out over a royal park, right? True. Right? Yeah. This is yeah. this is truth. Yeah. And, and then we have another house, another very beautiful house mm. in Whitstable. And, you know, he spends all of August in Barbados and sometimes December too. I, I mean, this isn't a normal life. Mm. And I remind him that this is a life that has been created. You are first generational wealth. And that wealth has been created by one single person, and that is me. Mm. So you need to understand what I have sacrificed in order for us to have the life that we have. Yeah. Now, from a practical point of view, I don't put any money into his savings account because that's his responsibility, not mine. I tell him, if you want a car, if you want a house, if you want help with any of these things, I have a very simple rule. I'm giving you nothing. So every penny, pound that you make or save, I'll match it. You make 10 pounds, I'll give you 10 pounds. You find a way to make 100,000, mm. I'm going to give you 100,000. That's your incentive. Yeah. And if you can't figure out, I guarantee you I'm not giving it to you. Now, as a backdrop to yeah. that, I think I've done something that, that sadly most people don't even know is, is an actual thing, which is I set up a pension for him from the day he was born. I put in the maximum contribution I could. What most people don't realize is, A, you can start a pension for your kids, and B, the government has to contribute to it in the same way as they would for any pension, even though your child isn't working. There you go. My son has a six-figure pension at 17. How crazy is that? How many people 40, 50 years older than him have that They don't. Part? So many people don't. Mm. So what I know for sure is even if I never put another penny into it after he's 18, by the time he gets to retirement age, he'll have the equivalent of a million pounds today. Mm. The equivalent. So I never have to worry what's his life going to be like when he gets to an age where he can no longer work because yeah. I've... I've covered that off for him. Yeah. But his working life, that's that's his that's his thing to worry about, mm. not mine. Because if we remove all of that from our kids, yeah. wh where's their drive? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're not going to be around forever. Well, I don't know. I'm working on it. Oh, you? <laughs> You've got a new business model there. <laughs> you also strike me, Shai, as somebody that's always ready to rise to the challenge. Yeah. Is there anything you've ever said no to? No, but there are things I would say no to. Like what? I wouldn't jump out of a plane. Okay. I wouldn't swim with sharks. Okay. Probably not that much else. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a bit of a control freak. I wouldn't yeah. do a bungee jump. No. 
I'm like, I don't really, I can't control this outcome, so I'm not really, yeah, <laughs> we're not going to do this. And the shark thing is super random. Uh, you know, I have some weird, crazy phobia about sharks that I've had my whole life. And rather than trying to overcome it, I'm just like, I don't really need to overcome it. It's not like having a phobia about dogs. I'm not going to come across a great white shark in Greenwich Park. I'm going to be okay. Sure. And when I go on holiday, it doesn't, it doesn't stop me going in the water. But I'm just always like, yeah, <laughs> if I can't stand up, yeah. I, you know, I'm probably going to swim back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't really fancy going to a great white shark. Although, you know, I guess it's probably more interesting than dying in your sleep. But yeah. Sure. I have the same about snakes it's snakes to me, but I have grown up with snakes in my country. So, <laughs> I, yeah, at least you had a reason. I mean, I had I no did reason. Have a reason. Yeah, yours is completely random. Completely random. <laughs> yeah. There is no yeah. logical. But there's very few other things I can think of that I wouldn't. Mm. But also, if I don't want to do it, I'm not doing it. I, I'm not one of those people that you can cajole into doing something to prove that I can do it. Yeah. Because me proving that I can do it is me saying, I don't want to do it. And I'm not doing it. <laughs> like, right? That's absolutely. Because sometimes that's what people do. They yeah. do stuff that they don't want to do to somehow prove yeah. that they could do it. But what kind of proof is that? You've just been manipulated. Yeah. That's true. Be, be comfortable and confident in your ability to say no. 100%. Yeah. No is a full sentence. Sure. Mm. Sit on that for a second. <laughs> Do you get approached by a lot of people with, oh, I've got a great business idea? And if you do, because I can imagine that uh, everybody wants to have a little bit of a, either an, there's an opportunity for you or they want to test it with you. How often does that happen? And when it does, how quick can you decipher whether it's, oh, they're onto something or no, this is definitely not going to work? Um, a lot. So so I get approached a lot of times and I, I am now religious about saying, you know, I don't have the capacity to look at things other than in a work environment. Mm. So if you want to pay to spend time with me to analyse your business, then let's talk about that. But you can't pick my brain for free. Yeah. And I don't have any time to go for coffee. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's different if I know people. It's different if mm. I've got a relationship with people, mm. but random people out of the blue. I mean, you'd be amazed. Mm. You know, one of the things that amazed me recently, I thought this was just insane. Like, what would possess somebody to think that this was acceptable? They put my name down on their application to Soho House without even asking me. Ooh, like, ooh, that's naughty. I mean, well, mm. I just don't really understand mm. the, the ethics and mm. the, the ethos of mm. why would you do that? Yeah. Because I immediately said, well, no, I didn't approve this. Yeah. So that's not really helping them, is it? No, absolutely. Like, ask me. Exactly. It's only it's only respectful and the decent I just, thing. It's these things, and assuming that everybody has time to, to just give you time. Yes. When you haven't actually earned that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just going back to what you were saying about the picking your brains for free, a trap that a lot of entrepreneurs, especially when they're first starting out, is giving away all their time for free. Why? And then, I well... I don't know. You tell me, is it a confidence thing? Is it a, a bit of imposter Did syndrome? you used to work for free? That's true. No, mm. you didn't. So mm. why are you working for free now? Exactly. Because just because you're in a different space doesn't mean you didn't bring with you all your skills and experience and expertise. You've just put it into a different package. Yeah. So what, because you've changed the package, it's now free? It now mm. doesn't have any value? Mm. When people don't pay, they don't pay attention. 
That's it. Cliche, but it's true. Mm. Mm. I've never once worked for free. And there's also similar kind of theme and concept where, because I work with a lot of mission-based businesses um, and there, there is a stigma attached with how can you pay for and marry profit when something's passion and purpose It's very, driven. very, very, very easy. Mm. The more profit you make, the more people you help. Exactly. So how many people would you like to help? A lot or a little? Mm. That's the beginning and end of the conversation. That's it. What you should be looking at is in a not-for-profit organization or in a, because obviously a mission-driven company can be totally for-profit. A mission-driven company can be not-for-profit. A community interest company is, again, slightly different. So you have to understand the parameters of what is it to be a mission-driven company. If you are not-for-profit, what I suggest people look at is how much are the people at the very top getting paid? Because I think that has to have a cap. But you should be making as much money as humanly possible so you can help as many people as possible. Definitely. And even on an individual basis, I always say to people, you know, if you're, let's say you're a, a coach or a trainer or a consultant, and let's say you work in the mental health space, go and find the richest clients you possibly can who can pay you the absolute top dollar so you don't have to worry about your mortgage your rent your kids your anything you can give those clients 100% of your attention charge them what they can afford mm. what you're worth and top dollar and then donate one day a week to giving your time for free yeah. to serve the people who can't afford you yeah. rather than trying to serve people who can't afford you and then stress about why they're not paying you mm. Stop selling to people who can't pay you. Yeah. Sell to the people who can afford you and can pay you. And if you really genuinely want to help those who need you the most but don't have the money, Mm. don't talk about it. Just Mm. do it. Stop talking, start doing. It's a fact. You don't have to sell to people who can't afford you to justify that you're a good person. That's it. Right? You can sell to the rich and the famous and everybody in between who can afford your services. Mm. And because they can afford your services, you have a surplus of income. And that now means that you have a surplus of time, which you can then reinvest into the people who genuinely cannot Mm. afford you, but need you. Yeah, that's, I think you've nailed on the head there. What advice would you give to, to business owners starting the year strong? with unstoppable confidence to to see so you're not only just surviving what's going to be happening, but absolutely thriving way beyond that first of all accept that you're gonna have a shit time at some points during the year don't expect everything to be rainbows and unicorns because it won't be so if you can prepare for the worst case scenario you can forget about it you can then Mm. focus on everything else being an upside so i'm not a negative person i'm a massively positive person my glass is always three quarters full however i'm a realist that says along the way shit is going to happen things won't work out this will happen that will go wrong and i'm okay with it because i've prepared and expected this to happen Mm. next up don't talk about it like seriously i don't want to keep going back to the to to you know stop talking, start doing, but the amount of people who talk about what they're going to do and don't actually do it. If you get to March and wonder why you're not achieving any goals, I guarantee it's because you haven't even started to attempt them. Or you started and you were in it for three days and then you gave up. Mm. It's like fitness. Mm. You you don't change your fitness overnight. You change your fitness over time. Business is exactly the same. Have a plan. 
Like have a freaking plan. Yeah. Put deadlines into your plan. Show up, do the work, be consistent. Mm. It's not rocket science. Sorry, there is one other thing that I think yes. is massively important. And that is surround yourself with like-minded people. Yes. Right? So I would say one of my superpowers is communities, mm. is bringing the right people together to support each other, as, as you know, having been through some of the programs. Mm. When you surround yourself with people who lift you up, instead of trying to pull you down, everything shifts and changes. Yeah. And sadly, you know, some people might think it's very controversial, but it's my truth. I think women are the worst at this. When you get the right women, really, really good women who come together and support each other, magic happens. Mm. And actually, those women are more supportive than I've ever seen men as a group ever be. Mm. However, through all kinds of societal, ancestral, patriarchal, you, 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 you name it, there are many, many reasons why women have ended up in this situation. But still, in 2022, 2023, and beyond, I'm sure it's not going to change overnight, women are still each other's worst enemies. Mm. And I see this play out with women far more than I see it play out with men. And the fact is, the only person you should be competing with is yourself. Your goal should be to collaborate with others and compete with yourself. Yeah. So find your people, your tribe. Mm. Find your women. Find your guys mm. who are going to collaborate with you, not compete with you. Oh, I feel like we could unpack that in a whole series. <laughs> but it is. It's removing that insecurities. I think there's. I mean, there's a whole raft of reasons but I think once you can remove the insecurities and forget about comparisonitis and everything else that is there's I had a great conversation with Phyllis Woodfine recently um, and when she came on she was talking about your library books and you're checking them in and checking them out and it's about deciding you've got to just check those stories out and when you bring your best self around the best people, that's when the magic happens. I mean, I'm testament to it. And, and I mean, I have you to, th I feel like I'm gushing. You, <laughs> but but I, I've seen it happen. I just wish it could be normalized. Yeah. The other thing is just stop being a fucking bitch. Well, there, there, there is that. Right? I mean, I'm <laughs> yeah. just being honest. Yeah. Clearly not directed at you. But, you know, if we're all going to unpack this... Yeah. All the different ways that the you know men have oppressed women over centuries, how society has oppressed—it's all true. Mm. But equally, you don't need to be a bitch. Yeah, right. Definitely, change starts from within. So yeah. we could all just decide. You know what? We can just help each other. Exactly. We don't have to look at each other as competition. There is more than enough room for all of us. Yeah. And if there's not, if you really believe there's not, that sounds like a you problem. Pioneers versus challengers. So Howard Schultz from Starbucks encourages business owners when they're starting out, don't be the pioneer because they're the ones that die in their swords. <laughs> be the challenger. What do you think about that? I think there's merit in it, but I think like most things you can find the counter argument to it. Was Apple a pioneer or a challenger? Both. Right. Yeah. Was Netflix a pioneer or a challenger? I would say, again, both. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The hybrid. Right. Mm. Was Amazon a pioneer or a challenger? Both. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, 
I can see some very interesting competitive analysis going on now. Yeah. If you think about it, I get the concept that if you're first to the market, you create the market for other people who then follow yeah. you and become the challengers, right? But equally, being the pioneer, if you're an absolutely brilliant pioneer, you take a land grab and you don't give anybody the chance mm. to sweep up behind you, mm. right? Amazon was a pioneer. The concept of buying online was not new to Amazon, right? No. They didn't invent it. Yeah. They invented Amazon the way it is today. Mm. So they were absolutely pioneering. There is no singular other shop online other than Amazon. Mm. I mean, obviously in China, you have your own platforms. Yeah. But if we take China out of the equation globally, yeah. mm. they're a pioneer. Mm. They smashed it. With Apple, I think they're a pioneer in everybody else's challenges now, today. Yeah. They yeah. lead, people follow. Yeah. Samsung mm. has this ad out right now, which I find absolutely fascinating. The ad is, I can't remember how they, you have to research it and, and mm -hmm. check it out. But the ad is basically playing on the fact that nobody wants to trade in their, their Apple. Mm. It's like they're actually acknowledging that no one wants a Samsung. And yet this Apparently, this model is going to make you want a Samsung. But in the actual ad, paid for by Samsung, they are acknowledging that Apple has the pioneering ground. Mm. So it's some kind of reverse psychology yeah. that, that basically says, you know, it's not quite, it'll make you give up your Apple, but it's along those lines. Like, it's absolutely clear in their messaging. Mm. Like, they actually say something very similar to that. Yeah. And it made me think, wow, who's like, I mean, I can't imagine... But maybe I don't understand psychology enough. Mm. Maybe we're going to find out that actually this ad has now turned the tide and people are going to yeah. start to buy Samsung instead of Apple, yeah. but I very much doubt it. We'll have to get a neuromarketing expert in. There you go. Mm. Mm. I mean, Shah, I could literally sit here for hours with you. Hours. So I think we're going to have to do, this is a mini series that could be... All right, we, can do, we can do part two next part year. Two. Exactly, exactly. Is there anything that we haven't spoken about today that you think would be a really important takeaway for people to listen to, just to carry with them? I, I think the most important thing is to recognize that this isn't a dress rehearsal. This is life. This is your life. This is my life. Mm. You have one life. And... You don't want to put off until tomorrow what you could do today. You don't want to die having left undone. Mm. You know, there's a famous Picasso statement that talks about, you know, you should never put off the things that unless you'd be happy to die having left them undone. So conversations yeah. that you should have with people, apologies that you should make, mm. businesses that you should start, houses mm. that you should sell, houses that you should buy, relationships you should end, relationships you should start. The key really is to recognize that time disappears very quickly. Yeah. Before you know it, another year has gone by. Yeah. And this isn't about having mammoth to-do lists. It's not about how many things can we get done. It's are you doing the right things? Mm. Are you getting done the things that matter for you? Mm. That's all that matters, mm. is the things that matter for you. So get really intentional about who you are. Yeah. Get really intentional about how you want to live. Get really intentional about what you want out of your life, out of your career, out of your business, out of your relationships, and out of your friendships. Mm. And then set really strong boundaries and just hold on to the fact that, you know, you're, you have one life to live and you're here to live it well. 
Yeah. You're not here to just exist. Mm. We're not here for some tolerable mediocrity. You know, we're here to, to, to be brilliant mm. in our own little ways. Mm. Mm. That's amazing. Thank you. Pleasure. Well, it was an absolute pleasure having you and I just wish you all the love and everything, every success and everything going forward. Thank you, darling. Thank you. You've been listening to the Challenger CEO podcast with your host, Karen Pollard. Follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok at The Challenger CEO or subscribe at www.karenpollard.com forward slash podcast.